guys welcome back to the blood and black run podcast i'm ryan from coltsploitation.com and i'm joining my co-host martin how's it going pretty good pretty good uh we are very close to halloween uh as of this recording we're about a week away spooky scary it is actually um i can't believe it it's gone by really fast and we have been in the halloween spirit since september because we started the remake of ween series back all the way back at the beginning of september first weekend so we were there first and foremost and we've been celebrating ever since with all the remakes that we've covered. And we've co- actually, today is going to be our last remake uh, episode. We get spoiled next week. Well, next week is technically <laughs> not going to be like we, we have an episode that may be coming <laughs> next week. I've been kind of tr- keeping it a secret. I've been posting online, like on our Twitter and Facebook, I've been like putting it's our last episode before Halloween. Wink, wink. Um, so well, we are doing it. We've already said we're doing an episode on Halloween. I know. I know. I've been, I've just been, you're doing a terrible job. Keeping it under wraps, I guess. I don't you're, know. You're doing a terrible job teasing. Like you're giving like a coddling to the balls and then shifting to like the asshole. And That's then, true. And I then you just, you... I didn't want to, I didn't want to like put anything out there, I guess, but we definitely are. <laughs> we are, we do have a, an episode on Halloween. So keep that in mind. Um, but today we have our last technical remake episode, and it's fitting because we're we're very close to Halloween that we're doing Rob Zombie's Halloween from two thousand seven. I love that it's prefaced by Rob Zombie's Halloween. It's kind of, it's kind of like a Brett Ratner film, which with Rush yeah, Hour Four being announced, I can't wait for like the trailers for that because I remember when Rush Hour Three came out, the big deal with that was a Brett Ratner film. Even though he did the first two, like it's like Brett Ratner was now big enough to slap his name on there, like his, you know, Martin Scorsese presents. Yeah, I agree. It's a little. I mean, it's weird because it's for whatever reason, certain films get prefaced by the director's name, and I think it may just be because, like, I in some ways you're saying this is a Rob Zombie film, so just keep that in mind because <laughs> not everybody is open to a Rob Zombie film. I guess to make damn yeah. sure you're not going in like John Carpenter's, <laughs> right? Or 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 just like this is just some uh, some director. You know, it's not some director. It's Rob Zombie who clearly has over the years. You know, after The Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, he's come up with his own sort style for making movies, and it's basically the Toby Hooper style of from Texas Chainsaw Massacre of here's a trailer park people and we put them in horror situations. Um, and so honestly though, that it's, 
it's the same way that you would say like like going into a, a style of music or something like that. You want to preface it by saying like, well, this is going to be a metal album, so just keep that in mind when you're listening. Um, in the same, and and also like you would say that with a Rob Zombie like album as well, like it's a Rob Zombie album. Yeah, so I think it's just indicative of like by 2007. Who the fuck's listening to Rob Zombie? Mm. You would be surprised. I wouldn't be actually. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, I don't go for it myself. Um, although I do like the occasional Living Dead Girl by you know at Halloween time. But I mean, I like other the, than that, I th- I feel like he's I almost mean, more I, of like a thriller of metal. Like what was I say? Well, I was nine years nine years old. Like yeah, I like Rob Zombie, and I like yeah. You know, I never really zombie. listened to White Zombie or anything like that when I was a kid. So oh, I I, it, I remember that more human than a human. AMV somebody made taking Dragon Ball True. Z's yeah. uh, Dead Zone and setting it to then like being like one of the first videos like ever downloaded. I mean, I don't want to knock anybody that does like White Zombie and Rob Zombie. I really, I don't care if you like them or not. I, I just myself, I don't really go for that except for like around Halloween where it's more of a like a. I don't know, like a seasonal thing where it's just kind of nostalgic to listen to it at that time, or it makes sense, like it's thematic. But other than that, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a fan. Um, it's kind of in the same way that I don't really like a lot of mainstream. What you'd consider, even though I listen to metal, I don't really like a lot of mainstream metal. Um, some people do. Like well, some people love Metallica and Megadeth, and not my not my cup of tea. I wouldn't say Megadeth's really mainstream. Yeah, I mean they're in the same boat. I mean Metallica. Less, less so than Metallica, but Metallica but. has been for quite a long time now. But yeah, I still I know I like Metallica. I mean, it depends. It depends on like when, when, what style of Metallica we're talking about. Are we talking about like 1980s Metallica? Because uh, then, yes, yeah. I mean, I could listen to that. It's more of a thrash, thrash metal, like <clears throat> sort of th- speed metal sort of thing. And no, I, I like can get the, into uh, that. No, I like the stuff from the 80s. Uh, up new, up, new stuff, no. up, up until probably the Black Album, which is you know their big yeah. mainstream. But I mean, that's like right. That's what I know exactly. Yeah, I mean, like I like the I like the older stuff, but not you know not so much the new stuff. I like um, I am the table with Lou Reed just because of the botchmania stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, otherwise, getting back to like Halloween, um, you preface it by saying Rob Zombie's Halloween just so that people know what they're getting into. I think it, because there's a sense of, of like style that goes along with it. And my, well, my question is, sorry to cut you off, but what's it, new it, it, well, <laughs> but this go, it go, goes with the, the idea that you're prefacing it with it being a rob zombie film if he's basically just doing the devil's reject all over again mm-hmm. but with michael myers what's the point yeah i would say that like with it from at this point 2007 we're talking um house and, of a thousand corpses then devil's rejects and then this and not not, and not only that there are other horror movies that could be remade from, like, you know, the time period that would fit that style. Why didn't they give him, like, The Hills Have Eyes? Or Texas Chainsaw would have been a perfect one. Well, there's, you know, before, though. No, I'm saying, like, a Texas Chainsaw remake would have been a perfect... No, but I'm saying, like, that was before he started doing films. Because yeah. it was 2003. No, my whole point, like, The Hills Have Eyes, or, like, Last House on the Left. Things that did eventually get remade... Those would have fit his style more. That's true. Like Last and, House on the Left, he clearly shows an affinity for here with a rape scene and everything. Like I, I'm not saying that I think he's. It's good to have a rape scene, but I think that he at least can handle doing it. I guess if I, you know, whatever, 
So, yeah, I mean... Like, it wouldn't make sense, like, those... like if they're like, hey, we're doing Day of the Dead remake, you know who we right, should get? Right, right. Rob yeah, Zombie. Rob Zombie would be great for that, yeah. Zombie's in the name, you know, like, it w- you know, his style, like, it'd be like Hillbilly, you know, fucking... No, I agree. I agree. And I think, like, even something like when Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez got together and they did, like, the Grindhouse series also would be a perfect fit for Rob Zombie because he... He does show that he has an affinity, and he and he has he a love for like grindhouse films, exploitation, black exploitation. Um, he definitely knows that stuff. And I mean, before he even had like a a sh- little show on Turner Classic Movies where he got to show like some of his favorite films from uh, previous, you know, like grindhouse exploitation yeah, days. That, that, sh- that show, and, shit wouldn't fly now because Turner's pretty. Yeah, like but, the, the latest film you'll see now from them is like 72, 73. Well, I mean, a lot of them were even earlier than that. So like, so they they did have some like sixties. Um, I think he showed, you know, like he showed coffee on there. I believe. I think that was part of his his. Um, no, but I even like still like films from the seventies are pretty rare on TCM. Right, they go back even further than that now. Is well, that, like, no, they've always done like classic films, like twenties up and. Early seventies is usually their cutoff. Like some very in the films from the seventies are kind of rare for them. Mm-hmm. Depend if they're like doing something special, you'll see like more things from the seventies or eighties. But that, that that's it. And it's it's like a like special. Like we're doing something like from this like director's catalog or something. Or in that usually their wheelhouse is forties, fifties, and sixties. And well, what I thought was cool about that was that he actually did have some really cool things on there, things that I hadn't heard of, and that was a, a cool block of movies that he they showed for a little while it didn't i don't think it lasted very long but i did like it because you did get a, a sense of what rob zombie grew up on and what he what he saw can't say ben mankowitz doing that no no <laughs> and, and, and i thought it was really cool because it was at a time where obviously like turner i think they do air some of their movies like uncut and i i believe that like coffee aired uncut and stuff like so it was pretty cool because you actually got to see what coffee is about right exa- yeah like it'd be kind of in its entirety be a hard film to show uncensored Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was pretty cool. So I'm not saying like Rob Zombie doesn't know his stuff. He definitely has he a love for that sort of thing, like exploitation grindhouse. And it really does come through in Halloween. Though I would argue that like Halloween in itself, like a, the 1978 version from John Carpenter is not really any, that does not have very much influence at all from like any sort of grindhouse or exploitation you know, film like that. No, at the it, time it was kind of considered exploitive because it's a slasher. But yeah, like, what, but, like, but in hindsight, it's kind of like you know. Yeah, it doesn't really have any of the same um, thematic elements that those grindhouse films would have had. I was to say to be kind of like topical, but like go with like music. It'd be like um, may he rest in peace, Tom Petty. Originally, when they came on the scene, they were considered punk or new wave because they're like, oh, we don't know. What it's mm-hmm. kind of a different rock sound. We haven't heard that before. And the leather jacket and the bandolier on the cover. And it's like, no, they're not new wave. They're not talking heads. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I would argue, like you said, like last house on the left, very much from the seventies and, and exploitation and film. very exploitive. Um, and that would have been perfect for him, for Rob zombie to cover because, you know, Wes Craven at that time was really trying to find his own in the horror field. And it, even thinking back, like for a Wes Craven film, last house on the left is a really weird sort of like, movie for him because it makes he, sense though as he, he again, moved like, on again you're breaking out you know so true yeah especially in the 70s what are you breaking out with you you know yeah what did martin scorsese start off with doing fucking harvey corman films right yeah so i mean you know he's producing like boxcar bertha and shit for harvey corman so it's kind of more like 
a Harvey Corman style film. Are you saying? Are you meaning Roger Corman? Roger. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just no. getting confused there for no. a second. I was like Harvey Corman. Yeah, Roger Corman. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I was thinking um, it has nothing to do with like Blazing Saddles. I was thinking like Hart, you know. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I was just make, like I don't know. I wanted to like, clarify yeah. to make sure we were thinking on the same page there. Um, yeah, a lot of people got started with Roger Corman. Actually, helped out quite a bit. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like it's yeah. his first f- few films, you know, aren't something that people even really know about. And yeah, then, like he found, you know, finds his footing later on with like Mean Streets and Taxi Driver. Well, I think with like uh, Rob Zombie, he really did find his footing with House of a Thousand Corpses because it does have that brutal violence, that flair. Uh, that exploitation had before, and it does feel a lot like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So he did gain some leverage there, and, and an early with, and an early two thousands film horror and, film, right? And even with The Devil's Rejects too, more of the same. But if, but at that point, because they were so closely related and bit pretty much a, a sequel to each other, you got away with that because you you could do the whole they're still hillbillies and you know in in an area like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre where people stumble upon this place and they it's a crazy family you get away with that but then once you get to halloween in 2007 and you see rob zombie again going back to the whole this is a trailer trash hillbilly family michael myers is brought up in this family and that really was what turned him into the michael myers that we know as a killer um seems a little bit overdone at that point right because I, I, even then like I would, I would argue that for one thing, no one's really asking for a Michael Myers backstory. But if you're going to give it, at least give it something that really has a like a, a big uh, reveal for the audience. Like something that really makes sense and says like, yep, that really fucked Michael Myers up when he was younger. It doesn't even have to be that. You can just do like, as like the original attended, he's just... Evil incarnate. No, yeah, I, but 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 like, kind of show what like as a child what he did that makes him evil incarnate, and like have Loomis trying to reach out to him and being unable to reach out to him instead of being like, well, my mom's a stripper and also a prostitute. She's dating some asshole who's a cripple and fucking berates me. My sister's a whore. Yeah, you know, and I get made fun of in school. Yeah, I mean, I we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into it, but I would just say that. For Halloween, you know, the whole trailer trash upbringing slash bullying, I don't think it really flies in terms of, like, motivation for Michael Myers at this point. Um, so we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a bit. I just wanted to bring that up a little bit because that does relate to Rob Zombie as a director and that that's kind of the theme that's constantly running through his films and maybe a, a part of his past that he can relate to. But I would argue that... For most audiences, it's not really maybe I much think, of a relation. Is it something that like maybe like it's sticking to like what this like what the idea of the stereotypical fan of the genre is? Maybe because like it's it's kind of like how like people you know like people think of wrestling fans as all being like fucking dim witted. Yeah, I you would know s- like rednecks. You know, I, so so like maybe it's like well, horror films are supposed to appeal to the lowest common den- denominator. Especially, like, you know, slasher, exploitive, and gory film. So, let's have the characters be, like, you know, I mean, a, I would, a I, over-the-top stereotype of what we think the fan base is. See, I think that even Rob Zombie's caricatures of, like, hillbillies hit are, are, like, far from what you would consider to be, like, a normal 
like genre viewer. I would I would say more so a normal genre viewer is someone more like like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. You know what I mean? Like if you were talking like straight Easy. stereotype, you know, <laughs> I would say like that's more of the stereotype in that you know it, I wouldn't say they're like backwoods hillbilly types, but they definitely are nerdy, nerdy, um, very much like cult followers, so they know everything about a specific you know movie. Well, to be that's see the thing though, especially nowadays, like the. That doesn't really work as a stereotype because geek culture is the thing. It's no, a pretty, I, I, and like everyone's like now like very open about like what they're nerdy about. It can be it's not just comics, a horror, or, you know, game, Star Wars. It's every, you know it's every a, yeah everything. It's become more you know into the public Ma- eye. It's mainstream everything geek again. What's the fucking top films now? Comic book movies. Yep. Comic book movies and Star Wars movies coming out. Well, they've always been. Well, fun. those have been big, but now they're huge because well, even they're being even released every year were... now. But I mean, but but still, like you know, so it's like again, like every fucking city under the sun, whether it be like New York or fucking Des Moines, has some kind of giant ass Comic Con thing, you know, for people to go dress up and get you know into what they're into. Yeah, it's so. I mean, I. So no, I I mean I guess I like I said I don't know if you know fifteen ten years ago like oh we think most of the audience that are going to these movies you know are white trash or whatever but again like it doesn't really maybe maybe you're right it's just like hey let's just take the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and fucking I, I think that's it. kind of his his put it put it in the suburbs this time yeah I mean that's kind of his thing so you either like that or you don't. And I don't know that it always fits in the like the films that he's doing. Like Halloween, I don't think that it fits. It's not like I don't know. It just doesn't really make sense if you're doing it as a remake and you're really trying to th- sit with the same themes as the original. I don't really think it has any bearing or place in it whatsoever. But it is what it is, and this is the final. <laughs> the final product is 2007's Halloween. So I guess we have to accept it as is and and talk about it as is. So let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the beer that we have on this episode because we do have a new thing from Genesee. So very exciting. Couple of new things. Couple, th- couple new things, actually. Uh, one that we're drinking now and one that we drank over the weekend. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Full Starts, the show about those presumptuous pictures that studios were sure would spawn a franchise, but didn't. Back on Eternia, yeah. Skeletor sort of locates the key on her mm-hmm. with Google Maps <laughs> and then asks where his mercenaries are. He's had uh, to walk past those mercenaries <laughs> to get into the room. Yeah. Guys, Skeletor is rude. <laughs> go on. Okay, go on. Film does not know what mercenaries are. Evelyn assembles them but then introduces them to Skeletor as his finest warriors. Are they his warriors or are they freelancers? Okay, name them. Please, man. Um, come on. Uh, Come on, there's at least one. You, there's one that's an easy one. I know because some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. The blade. Thank you. Yeah, that's two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fact that we were able to name two. You named two. In this you film were able to name two. Instantly uh, uh, makes it better than Planet of the Apes. If you like that, you can hear more on iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook at Full Starts Pod. All right, guys. So we're back with some beer talk. 
Um, today on the show, we've got a new Jenny beer, uh, Genesee, for those of you who are not from around here and haven't heard the rest of our episodes where we cover all the Jenny beers. Are not sponsors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, they really should become sponsors at this point as we cover pretty much every single new beer that they put out. Um, they've actually put out two new beers with their Pilot Batch series. Which is their craft line. Yeah, the one, the, like, experimental style, which they they do... They've been putting out quite a few, actually. Yeah, they average like two or three a season now. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot considering how like before they really didn't do anything besides like maybe fife and drum here and there. That hasn't been. Wow, I wish I still had my bottle of that. Yeah, I mean because that's been like fucking nearly six, five years, and it only came out that one time, and that's it. And when that they, and what was the other one that they did? The summer ale. The other one. The, uh, oh, red? the horse, the uh, twelve horse, twelve horse. They, yeah. But no, that's something they used to actually do as yep. like a part of their lineup. Yeah, was so, the twelve horse sale, which I wish they still they do have at their brew house, but they don't release in twelve packs anymore. I wish they did because it's a blonde ale, an English style blonde ale, which is a, kind of a rare style. You don't really get, you know. Yeah, it's tasty. I like that one. That's why I want to go to the brew house. I want like the first thing I order, like when I see, like I'll be there, like or like. Almost every beer off the tap, except that Rice Ski and Spies uh, Old Ale. <laughs> but uh, that would be the first thing to get is a 12 horse. It's like, if I, like and I would badger like whoever's running the tap. Like, why don't you put this in 12 packs again? We should. Wow. But today we have um, the Jenny Dark Chocolate Scotch Ale, which is a new beer that's like kind of, it's similar to the last year's style, which was a salted caramel porter. Chocolate porter. Chocolate porter. And they, um, they've done that the past, I think, two or maybe three, even three years. I can't remember. We, it's been out, uh, I know, more than once. And we did that last year on the show. It's a very good. It is very good. I love it. And uh, so this year they, they went a little bit different with the style. And uh, they it seems like they've replaced it with the dark chocolate scotch ale. And um, for one thing, you don't see a lot of scotch ales. And then for another, you don't really see any with dark chocolate in them. And they, and they do use the same uh, for the salted caramel chocolate porter. They use chocolate from a local Rochester uh, chocolatier, I guess would be the word. Yep. Um, heating this chocolate, mm-hmm. and with the and which really brings out the chocolate flavor in the porter and the salted caramel bot, uh, taste to it. And with this uh, dark chocolate Scotch ale, they also use chocolate, dark chocolate from heating this. Uh, chocolate to uh give the body uh the 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 scotch ale that dark chocolate taste i would say with this beer like you always run the risk of not having enough chocolate or having too much chocolate but i would say that it's a very good balance here of the chocolate and the dark chocolate itself really does taste like a very good dark chocolate um sometimes you can get chocolate and it's like kind of gross tasting have you ever had like gross chocolate that's really cheap chocolate hershey yeah it, 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 you can just tell, like, or even worse than Hershey, really. You can just tell that it's really cheap chocolate. It just doesn't. It just tastes weird. It tastes off. And this is not the case. This is a very rich chocolate, and um, it really comes through in the body of this beer. So the dark chocolate, I would say, is akin to almost like drinking like a. It's almost like a hot chocolate beer. I would say something like that. You know, it, and we and we and we had it chilled too. Yeah, it's um. I would say the characteristic of the beer, you get that. V- Delicious dark chocolate sweetness in the beginning of the beer itself. It's very pronounced, but it's not overly sweet. It's still got those, you know, dark cocoa nuts, uh, notes, 
little bit of nuttiness to it because dark chocolate does have like a naturally nutty taste to it. Yep. And then after you get that dark chocolate sweetness, that's then when you get the scotch ale taste of malty roasted malts. And then at the end, they would say you get like a little bit of that alcohol kick because it's a 7.5% yeah. beer. You definitely do get an alcohol kick to it. And I, th- I think it's reasonable though. Like sometimes you don't want it to be a super heavy alcohol kick to it. But I would say that it's a reasonable amount of alcohol that you get towards the end of that beer. Um, like I, and we're not – it's not talking like sometimes with things like an old ale, like it's which we ve- had before. very pronounced. I mean it's basically like drinking a bunch of alcohol. It's very heavy. Dark fruit and alcohol, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of taints the flavor that you get from it. But I would say that that's okay with this one. Like you just get a, a slight taste of alcohol towards the end so that you know like I'm drinking a pretty heavy beer. Go easy on it. This does come in a four-pack. So and and it's a heavy beer for sure. Um, I would this is, call it a dessert beer. Yeah, I would definitely say it's a dessert beer. This is not something that you would like want to just have a bunch of. Um, I would probably say that even four in this one pack would be too much. You might get away with two, um, and probably even if you're you know if you just had a meal or something and you wanted something for dessert, it would be a one and done. Um, because it is so heavy, I would say the body is very thick. Um, it's almost like. It's very, it's very creamy. I would say it's very like thick and hearty body to it. So, not a lot of carbonation. Obviously, you don't really want a lot of. Car- I would, I can't imagine no. you'd want a lot of carbonation. But With your scotch ale, yeah, exactly. But this is not not very carbonated at all. And um, but I like the body thickness to it. It's like a good mix between like um, what you would get from maybe like a stout and. More so, like the, well, this the being a scotch ale, yeah, yeah, the scotch ale, and I, th- I think it's actually a really great pairing and really, you know, ingenious to like compare, you know, put like chalk, you know, chocolate with a scotch ale. Scotch ales overall, you know, are heavy, multi beers. Again, very fally, very wintry, and just because they're usually higher in alcohol, have a big malt presence to them, very thick in body, you know. I would, All, why the you know secondary name for him was like a wee you know Scottish wee heavy. So I think that this beer is perfect for sipping on a winter day, snowing outside. You're by the fire. Perfect, perfect beer for that. It's kind of what I would like in a traditional sense. I would think like a lot of people would like to drink by the fireplace. You know, it's very cold and chilly outside. You're warming yourself by the fire. Just maybe settling down with a book and this beer. Perfect. No eggnog and rum. Right, exactly. You don't need it. You've got the alcohol content right here. No rum needed. So it's very it's very tasty. I would definitely seek that out. It's a good um I would say it's a good follow up to their salted caramel chocolate porter. Which I do still hope they release too, because it is such a really good beer. Yeah, I mean I think both of them are really good. They could get away with releasing both, I think. Yeah, um, why not? Yeah. So it and, and like these are actually, I would say two. These are perfect for passing out, like during a a very casual party. You know, if you're having like people, a holiday party or something like that, get people to try like something. You know, yeah, you want to very try. perfect. Like not if you're having like a like we have every year. Like we have a Christmas party where we do Christmas with the Cranks drinking game. Not good for that. <laughs> uh, way too heavy for that. But if you're just having a casual sit down party, maybe some conversation, maybe which, a fire, which that's going to be. Uh, spoiler. It's going to be an episode this year. Christmas with the Cranks. We're going to be doing it. Yep. We talked about it before. This year we'll do it. 
But I think this is a, a great dessert beer or a party beer, like something that you can just, you know, like a... Be great for a flight, you know, in a flight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if you got, you know, samples. Yep. Like, this would be, you know... Good, yep. I, I think it's a very good beer all around. I think they did a really good job with it. And it doesn't have that raisiny f- dried fruit flavor that their winter uh, style does, so... I like it. I think it's definitely worth seeking out. Then the other thing that we got this weekend uh, was Jenny's other um, big pilot batch series release that's just come out, which was their uh, what's the official name for it? Coffee uh, stout. Co- just just straight old coffee stout. Yeah. Um, and by and, we, you mean me? Yeah, you got it. You went me. out to Ilian and got it. This is my of these. birthday present to myself. So the coffee stout comes in a six pack. And it has a lower alcohol percentage, right? 5.1. 5.1. Um, it's a traditional English stout with notes of coffee. And I th- I would say that I think the stout aspect of it is very good. I think they did a good job with the body, the mouthfeel. Um, and it being a lighter stout, too. Exactly. Um, I think it's, it's a good stout. The coffee in it is not as pronounced as I would like it to be. I would um, love it to be like very, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like with this, make it like coffee forward, have like a nice robust dark coffee flavor. Yeah, and because, then... you know, if you're talking like just making a plain old English stout is not really that adventurous or um, un- like it's not like it's not been done before by other places. So I like that they do the coffee stout aspect of it, but I, I really wish that they would have made that coffee a little bit more forward in the beer. Um, perhaps like it becomes more pronounced when you drink more of it. Like I, I had three out of the six pack. Mm-hmm. So like by the third one, it was becoming like more pronounced, but it's still, still very, you know. Yeah, it was minimal and not what I would kind of what what I would hope from it. I guess, like I said, I would really hope for like a strong coffee and then let the because like it, it is a traditional English stout, so it's it's malty. But it's not very thick and hearty, so like to have that strong coffee presence, and then finish it off with the, you know, malty smoothness of the stout, would make it a very good refreshing be- campfire beer. You know, for like late winter. I mean, I get the aspect that they don't want to go too heavy on the coffee and really isolate some certain you know people who maybe aren't specifically fond of coffee, but. I really do wish that they had gone a little bit more with that coffee flavor. I almost feel like if you like coffee, you probably like stouts. They kind of like they kind of go together and very similar, like kind of like pairings. Yeah, um, and it, I can't help but compare this to like Saranex coffee beer, which they recently recently it's like a cold the, brew coffee, the cold brew lager. Yep, and and I think that that one has a very coffee forward presence to it. Which is weird, because again, it's a lager. Yep, but but it works. I think that one really works. It's probably one of the best coffee beers that I've had recently. Um, except for, not except for, but also uh, of note was the Death Wish coffee IPA that I had, which was very mm. um, unique we, in its we, taste. We did do that on here, too. Right, yeah. That was very unique, so it's a, you know, a different style, but... I would say that I I just wish that this the coffee stout had had just a little bit more coffee flavor to it, you know, even just the I get what you would call like steeping it a little bit more, um, and it, just giving it that more full fledged coffee flavor would have really made that pop because I think it's a I think it's a, a pretty good beer, but I I think that could have elevated it to a, a great beer. It's kind of like with uh, 
Sierra Nevada sidecar, you know, the mm-hmm. tangerine, you know, yeah. IPA, and it's like, I really don't pick up that fruit f- notes that you're supposed to be going for to, ba- it, yeah. to pair with the IPA, it just tastes like an IPA. You just need it to go a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, like, you know, as an experiment, pretty good, but I would hope for the next batch of the, the coffee stout to maybe... You know, just let that coffee flavor come out a little bit more. I'd still get it. I think. It, oh it, yeah, it I would absolutely it. still get it. It's a it's a tasty beer. I think it's a good stout. Um, maybe just like with a reworking of the recipe. Hmm. Well, it was their first try, so yeah. Who we'll, you know, we'll see if it comes back and next year if they you know kind of. Yeah, it's something up. that like we take for granted too is that when these seasonal beers come out, they probably tweak the recipe a little bit and we, you don't even realize it. Cause they just know, or if not, they, you know, they just discard it and move on to the next. It's Cause that's kind of how the thing is with seasonals. They, you know, feel like, Oh, people didn't really like that chocolate box. Yeah. We just won't do it. Yeah. Right. Maybe they brew it in small batches for themselves at the brewery, but like, all right, we're just not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And like, you don't really get to see the behind the scenes of like what they did with it. Once they found out like what people thought of it and, you know, how it, how it tasted and how it came out. Cause really it's an experiment for them too. They're not exactly sure. I mean, maybe they make small batches, but they don't really no, know. No, that, well, that's especially true with Genesee. They're not, te- you know, brewing and testing it for years. It's kind of like, Hey, I brewed this up and okay. This is, you know, like in a small batch. Oh, that's good. And they kind of tinker with it for like a, probably I'm assuming like a couple of months and like, all right, we think this is good. We're going to do it as a, you know, like a, you know, a line. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's um, definitely interesting. So check both of those out. They're out right now. Um, more so like in line with the winter beers, but um, definitely. Well, the, win- the winter they're, has they're out. Winter has come. Yeah, we actually have uh, grabbed. I grabbed the Saranac Winter Pack. I couldn't hold off. It was on sale. I was like, and and also, you know what also fuels me to grab stuff like that is when they don't have anything new for me besides like the winter pack. So like if there's no new Oktoberfest or anything I haven't tried before, I'm like, well, shit, I've got to get something new. I want to try something new. Yeah, but that's hard around here because like we as big of Marsden style beers we are, as you said, like in a text to me the other day when you're like, fucking nothing new. It, it really is around, at least around here, it's like. All right, we got five different Oktoberfests. Right, exactly. Mm, that's I it. can name off on the on my the top of my head all the beers that we have: Saranac Oktoberfest, Sam Adams Oktoberfest, uh, Line and Kugel's Oktoberfest, uh, Goose Island Oktoberfest, Brooklyn Oktoberfest, and uh, Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest. Those and, are the ones that are around. And Jenny, and Jenny Oktoberfest. Yeah, which was actually still around it um, when I was there at Fuel and Food. So they still have a pack of that. Uh, but those are, that's it. So like, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's not a lot, but once you've had them and especially for us, when we've had them like multiple years in a row, you want to try something new. You want to try somebody else's Oktoberfest and we just don't get them. So it's really hard to snag something new. You're right. Yeah. We got to drive like an hour away to be like, all yeah, right. Exactly. You you have to either do that. Like we, we did, to... like we did this year for Adirondacks Oktoberfest. Like we went, drove up an hour to Lake George and yeah. Or like you have to be like like me. I have um, uh, some uh, state friends that, or I have some growlers to um, project or not project uh, market thirty two, which they do some uh, growler fills there. So like for that, I have to drive like forty five minutes and get a growler fill. And generally, yes, they'll have some new Oktoberfest and stuff. But still, it's forty five minutes out of my way. I don't always have the time to do that. So yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the ass sometimes. So, but anyway, I do have a. a keg 
a sixth of a keg of Saranac Oktoberfest coming for my Halloween party. So I can't wait. You're all invited. Everybody listening is invited to the Halloween party. Just send us a message and we'll send you the address. To That's come. right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Um, let's go into uh, Halloween because uh, we've got some, some major talking points on this Rob Zombie remake. Does anyone not have major talking points? It's right, is, it, is is this a film that's really where people are either I love it or I hate it? Is there anyone who's just like me? Eh, eh. I think this this is a love it or well I think it's a polarizing. I it's, think it is. Yeah, it's you either love it or you don't. Yeah, I think and th- it's funny too because um, this is probably one of the remakes that I have the most to say about, like that I feel most strongly about in terms of. Like things I really didn't like. If you can't see, you can't see right now. But Ryan's rolling up his sleeves. So yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. To get ready to be like, well, let me tell you about. Well, it's and it's also I would say that for Rob Zombie, this was a really like risky venture because when you talk about Halloween, the original, it's um well regarded and pretty much universally, and it's not going to be taken lightly that you're trying to remake it. And this is done before most other uh, of the re- yeah, big the re- slasher remakes. The remakes that we, we have covered. So this is 2007. Uh, Friday the 13th was 2009. And um, Freddy, was- Freddy was 2010. So yeah, this is like one of the first. Which, by the way, the may I say it's kind of weird that we got like a House of Wax remake. And like a couple other of the remakes before we got this, like wasn't the uh, I actually don't think it's that weird because isn't like the, the Hills Have Eyes like a remake that we that came out before this? Didn't that come out before this? It, yeah, I think it did actually. Like two thousand six. Yeah, something like that. Well, I don't think it's that weird actually because I think they they were testing the waters of it, doing like a not so uh, well regarded original film as well, a remake. Well, House of Wax is regarded because it's a Vincent Price movie. Yeah, but, but when the you're same, talking but, in the but, 2000s, like how many people, probably a lot of people didn't even realize it was a remake. But at the same time, but you know, that's true because the tone of the films are totally different. And just like this stylistically, because again, it's done that early 2000s torture porn style. That film could have easily just been another film that's named House of Wax that has that nothing to do with the centers original. around a wax at museum. Least, at you least really with don't. like when they remade House on Haunted Hill, it's updated. And, you know, more violent and over the top. But it does, you know, connect itself, at least I think so, to the original enough to where, like, okay, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, and it plays off the original, and it does things differently on purpose from the original. So, yeah, I agree. And with Halloween, you have Rob Zombie, who does probably treat John Carpenter's film as, like, referential and influential, but at the same time branches off considerably from like act an actual remake this is more of a retelling of michael myers than a remake per se a new universe Cause pretty much because the whole meta things if you know we're in the whole meta thing now <laughs> i yeah i mean for for the most part this film you know it it uses michael myers as a character it uses Sam Loomis is a character and it uses uh Lori Strode as a character. But other than that, like if those are the three things that really ground this and Haddonfield, I guess. Um those are the three things that really ground this as a Halloween film. 
Otherwise, this could have been any other film that was set on Halloween with different characters and different... What do you need to be set on right. Halloween? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be Michael Myers. It doesn't have... You know, it could have been a hillbilly killer. Um, it does... It, it could have... This... The whole film itself could have been set aside from the Halloween franchise. And it really wouldn't have played out any differently than it does in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Um, because it... It is primarily a film about Michael rather than a film about Laurie, like John Carpenter's Halloween. This is a this is a film that follows Michael throughout most of his life. That we see him as a kid, growing older, going to an asylum, uh, meeting San, with San, Loomis, sanatorium. yeah, sanatorium, meeting with Loomis, and then eventually escaping from that sanatorium and making it to Haddonfield, where he hunts down his sister, which he probably doesn't actually know even though the film seems why like would pretty, he know yeah exactly even though the scene how would he know? the film seems to take it as for granted that he would know exactly who she is and what she looks like now that it's 15 years later but anyway she, she's been whoring around yeah i mean i mean i guess my biggest concern let's start with the biggest problem with this film okay the rob zombification of it the whole first 40 minute, and by the way, this is a two hour film. The first 40 minutes are spent with Michael Myers as a child mm-hmm. and his fucking hillbilly white trash family. I wouldn't even say hillbilly because they're not hillbillies. They're just fucking white trash. Um, it's a problem. It's a really big problem because it's one, it's not necessary it's done for total like shock value. Like, oh, we came again. We came off of House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil Rejects. So, like that whole like, oh, they're just white trash cursing with their kiss T-shirts and listening to Bad Company and you know, being overly sexualized and ooh yeah, isn't that you know? Well, no, no kid. Again, this is a very small percent. No kids like. Fucking jacking off a bottle in front of like their fucking brother, like that's that's you with your rat. Ah, uh, yeah, Mikey, aren't you stroking your rat like that? And then the fucking mom's boyfriend's like, doggone nice ass. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that the whole first scene is really cringeworthy just because of how much it's trying to be ex- again exploitive like oh look how shocking it is yeah it's like no they're just everyone here is an unlikable asshole her boy the mom's boy sherry moon zombie's boyfriend is an asshole which by the way why the fuck are you with him this crippled asshole who's like i'm gonna beat your children mm-hmm. he's a crippled asshole who can't get out of his chair just be like all right fuck you i don't need this yeah she's an asshole because she's a she isn't com- paying attention she to her kids. She completely puts up with that. Puts up with that. Puts up with her kids being little shitheads. And, she, you know, she's a stripper. Just because it's a Rob Zombie film. She's got to have, you know. Well, he's got to have Sherry Moon Zombie in some form of undress. Do you, do you think it's Rob that's directing that? Or she's like, no, I'm going to show my tits, Rob. And Rob's like, no, I don't really think she's like, she's like I'm going to show my tits, goddammit. Everyone wants to see my titties. I don't know. But that, like, you know, Michael's a little shithead because he's just, again, we don't really know why. It's supposed to be, like, because of this terrible family surrounding that he's crazy and psychotic. But, again, it doesn't really explain, like, 
So, like, is he just killing small animals because he enjoys it? Because if it's supposed to be, like, him acting out his anger towards his family on those? It's yeah. not... that That's not really explained. I, I, that's something that would... If you're going to do this whole psychological evaluation of Michael Myers as a child that leads him to becoming the boogeyman himself, that would be interesting. Like, is he doing all that? Like, you should have shown him, like, you know, like, you know, fuck you, you know, Ronnie. And as he's, like, like cutting like a mouse, like, he names, like, the animals after, like, his, like, step, you know, his mother's boyfriend and his sister and her boyfriends and his bullies. That makes sense. Like, okay, he's, like, He's not able to take his anger and aggression out on them, so he's doing it on, like, these animals. No, he's just doing it on small animals because that's what, you know, usually, you know, sociopaths do in their youth. Yeah, I agree. I think that, like, with this film, it really does try to take a standpoint on what made Michael Myers do what he does in Halloween. And I don't think that it really makes a good case because, yes, it shows us him getting bullied. It shows... His family life is not ideal. By the way, again, he lives in a middle... Cl- They're supposed to be white trash. They live in a middle-class suburb. In a pretty middle, they, deep, ha- they have a in-ground in pool. A night, which we don't see till the end. Yeah. Which is, you know, good little flaw point. But like again, it's like a nice two-story house, but it looks like shit because they treat it like shit because they're shitbag people. Yeah, and he goes to a pretty nice school. It's not like it's like... Uh, a shitty school. No, right. it's yeah. he lives in 70s suburban America... Right. But I, I would say that the biggest problem is that the film treats it like bullying is like something that led him to serial killing. It's the family life that led him to serial killing. But really, it's the film shows us that that's not what it is. I mean, it's not like this it, has been a, a short time coming and he's finally snapped. He's, he's been, been doing it for a long time and they've really never realized it. So I would say that even this like encounter with young Michael Myers doesn't show us exactly what put him over the edge. And it's 40, it's again, it's two hour film. It's 40 fucking minutes long. Of almost half, almost half of this film is, this is set out to set out. Okay. This is why Michael's crazy and it fails at it. So half the film already is garbage. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that that's a big problem is that, you know, I, I, I guess I'm okay with them trying to figure out why Michael does what Michael does. I don't think it's ideal because I don't really think it's necessary. A lot of times, in, in in real life, a lot of times there is really not a, a pinpointable reason where you can say like, well, this was the point where they went crazy. It was more so of a synapses weren't connecting and they, <laughs> you know, they, they just lack the emotional connectivity to make them will we consider a normal human being now i agree like i don't think i don't think michael myers needs a backstory to why he's a psycho i don't cuz original again if you go off the original film the fact without any of the sequels without any of the sequels is what you get from donald pleasance as dr loomis is all you need to know that he's evil incarnate and that, that he's he, been that, planning this for as long as Dr. Loomis has been working with Michael. That's that's it. Like yeah. he's been planning. He's been and even Dr. Loomis doesn't know what he's been planning, but that he's been looking ahead to something. Like there was something in his that's striving him to right exactly. But and that again that works fine within the context of the original film. You don't need a backstory to why he's a killer. You need to know that he is a so- psychopath and that he's evil itself. 
you, again, you don't need the backstory. Now, after all the fucking sequels and shit that come out, I think if you are remaking it, I think it's fine to do a okay. Why to try to address to exam like, to do a character study? If you're going to, okay, fine, I'm fine with it. it uh, even though I don't think in of itself, Michael Myers needs that. If you're going to do a remake of the fuck for film, you kind of have to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like we both said, the film doesn't do it well at all. It's so haphazardly done. I, that, that it, again, like that, like okay, it's like, wow, you ruined the mystique of Michael Myers. Instead of him being evil incarnate, just because he's ba- basically Damien itself from the Omen, except in he's in Haddonfield now. Now you just made him poor white trash that you know. And I think that the film confuses itself more than anything because it, for one thing, it doesn't give a reason for Michael being the way he is. Um, it doesn't give a reason why um, Michael is at first talkative and then decides to kind of. But even still, he's not really talkative. He's still very kind of to himself. He is, but at least he's he discusses things with Doctor Loomis, and then after his mother commits suicide, he kind of like just closes himself down for fifteen years. I mean, it doesn't give us any of those reasons, even though we do spend that time with him. There's no. I would say that the thing that makes that area pointless is that we don't really learn anything from it, and that Loomis isn't doing anything fucking worth a damn. Like. Yeah, exactly. It almost, like, I would say that in the original Halloween, Loomis is an asset to the film just because he at least has some insight. Like, no one else knows anything about Michael Myers, but it, Loomis at least has some insight, so it makes him a, a valuable figure. In this film, you know, God bless Malcolm McDowell, who's pretty much signing on just because he loves... He likes making movies. Exactly. As, as when, we were, when we were watching and we were explaining to your wife, I'm like, that's Malcolm McDowell. He's a great actor. But like a lot of great actors, especially with him, yeah. he likes signing on. He just I, loves to act, and he's been in a lot of shit. I would say that, like for this, you know, <laughs> Malcolm McDonald's character, um, for Doctor Loomis, he's really not useful at all because not only does he not do anything for Michael, like it makes it clear that he's very, he's not a very good psychologist because he doesn't seem to know what he's doing at any one time. Makes not a that, lot of mistakes. And not only that, just watching him, it seems like he's like, yeah, like, no, you're right. Like, like he's like, we don't really see him trying to do anything. It's just like, anytime we see him with Michael, he's like, I'm just trying to reach you, Michael. Yeah. You know, he's not, makes, like, he's not like, try, like, we don't get to see him try to do anything. He's just like, Michael, why won't you listen to me? And then they, and he's not listening. And then they like, do like a stereotypical, like, it's supposed to be kind of grindhousey. So let's have a grainy film and put, Loomis's voice over like he's recording it and we'll see Michael like kind of standing around with his mask and Loomis like he's going into a deeper deeper psychosis and I I can't reach the boy and then like you'll see him talking to him again like then it's like you're not doing anything and then yeah I would argue that that all those scenes are pointless because they don't really show us anything they just show us that he's not making any progress with Michael and I would say that it makes Loomis a worse character because at that point you're like, well, why is he still like what 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 good is he as a as a person? Why is he cre- write a book? Right, exactly. Why makes it, he- again, make, that does make him look like a shitbag. Like you know, like right. like I worked with you for 15 years, Michael, and you know after looking at you blankly for 15 years and not really getting any progress, um, I'm done. 
Yeah, I'm going to write a book, hope to make millions, fuck you, fuck your family. I have to assume that you're just evil and write a book about you, is the conclusion that it comes to. And describe it in ways that was lifted from Jaws with Robert Shaw describing his, you know, when his destroyer got sank and the sharks ate his comrades, you know. Yeah. I... Black as eyes. I I was expecting at any moment Malcolm McDowell to pop open a Narragansett yeah. and crush it like Quint. You're, by the way, you're welcome, Narragansett, for that plug right there. Yeah, I think like that's another huge issue with the whole aspect of this Halloween and that it tries to show us the past of Michael Myers. It really doesn't get anywhere. There's nothing to learn about it because even Loomis doesn't learn anything about it. I would say that... Yeah, no, he doesn't learn his lesson. No, exactly. And I would say that, like, another big issue is that, uh, like, it just doesn't know what to do with Michael Myers once he's targeting Laurie Strode. So, for one thing, the, one of the issues is that he would never know who Laurie is or where it she is. It wouldn't make sense. He hasn't had contact with his family. There's no explanation for how he would ever know... That what she baby, looks like that. Right. What, what four month like, like what essentially like four month old Laurie Strode would end up looking like? Yeah, there's no, there's no, th- that doesn't make sense. But even more than that, like I can overlook that. But even more than that is the fact that like once Michael actually finds Laurie and contacts her, it seems like Rob Zombie has no idea why he would ever like seek her out like what is his legitimate reason or motivation for finding her because she's supposed to be like protect like a protector i'm here to protect you right like there's even like at the end loomis says that there's no motivation for this guy like you really don't know what he's doing he's been staring at the wall and waiting for this moment but but for what at least like in the original halloween we know like his entire goal is just to murder his family but in this film it, that the goal does not seem to be the case because he kind of just passes out like a robot in front of Lori once he finds her. Well, it, may, it makes sense because when he kills his original family, he leaves Lori untouched because she's innocent and hasn't done anything wrong to him. But at the same time, again, like as you said, like how would he know? Like in like what again? What's his motivation? Is he like I'm supposed to be here for you, little sister? Mm-hmm. But I, for I, some, because he shut himself down, he's not vocalizing anything. He's just looking there like a fucking idiot. And you literally have Lori like, I don't know what you want. Right, exactly. I don't, yeah. I don't, like, because he has a photo that his mom gave him of him and Lori when she was just a baby of him holding her. And, she's like, and he's showing it to her. And she's like, I don't know what you want. Right, because Please he, don't kill me. He, he even takes off his mask and she's like, okay. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like, you, you would know. be okay. Like, okay, right. so this is a picture of you and a baby? I don't I don't understand you, you, it. You like Sabaton? You you like you, right. know, you, you, you like metal? You look like you're going to metal shows. The, the problem is that when you have Mike, a Michael who's non-vocal, and you don't have a clear directive as to like why he's actually seeking out Lori. You have to make assumptions about it. So my assumption for what Rob Zombie and the the filmmakers meant is that Michael sought Lori out because he blamed her for his mother's death because she was the only other factor there. That, that wouldn't she... make sense because he didn't want to kill her. Right. Exactly. So it, it doesn't really make sense, but it's the only viable solution for for what the the film gives us like 
other than that, what is the motivation to seek her out? He there, wants there, to protect her. But at the same time, that doesn't make sense either, which that's the vibe I get. Like, he's trying to protect her and, like, rekindle this feel. Again, yeah, it's not really explained early on in his childhood. We just know they they have a, a baby sibling. But I would argue, but at this point, like, in, in especially with what Rob Zombie shows us in the film, Michael has no feelings. He doesn't really care about humanity in general. He's misanthropic. He doesn't care. So, like, but when- he does. But he does apparently care for his sister, because the whole after killing his family, what's he do? Like, you think like, oh, he's gonna kill the baby. No, and the, and his mom sees him out there with holding Lori. He's like, what are you doing with Lori? What's going on? And they walk in. The cops come. Like, oh, he murdered the family. Well, that's that's in his youth, though. But as he grows older, he becomes more misanthropic to the point where even when a woman is raped in front of him, it doesn't really bother him. Like, he doesn't care about humanity. But when he touches mask, which is a personal affront to him, then he will intervene. So it's it, the film shows us that he's very misanthropic. He really doesn't care about anyone. I know, I, he doesn't I, care about anybody who treats him well, like Danny Trejo's character. I know, which is like, that's just sad. Like, you even, <laughs> you even have him be like, I was nice to you. Yeah, I, it was good to you. I, I know, and he didn't. Danny Trejo wasn't an asshole. He was a janitor who's like, look, I've been in jail. I understand. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like, and he just fucking murders him. And I, like, no, I agree. It's like, like Danny Trejo, Michael, you should have spared him. He, he didn't deserve that. No, and I agree. He is misanthropic, but again, the whole, what it seems like he's, he seems like he does care for his sister. I guess. But, I mean, but, but, but like, again, and I understand where you're coming from because it doesn't make sense. When, right. By the time no... he's an adult, he, he has no fucks to be, his garden of fucks is barren. And he has none to give. None to give to anyone. I, w- I would argue that by giving Michael a backstory in this film, Rob Zombie actually did worse by Michael. Because at least in John Carpenter's Michael Myers, people may may think that it's silly, that he doesn't really have a motivation. It's, well, but that's what makes it also scary, is that he doesn't a, have a motivation. It's just kill everybody. And not only that, it's a great reveal when you see, like his parents pull off the mask and he's got blood on him and you see it's like a seven year old kid holding a fucking butcher's knife. Like obviously like, there's something wrong there. And that's again, that's great. You don't really need to expound upon that. Like what, well, like, you know, why did he do that? No, it's great. Kid in a clown costume fucking murdered his, you know, sister and her boyfriend. And the parents come home and see he's standing out there blank, and, you know, pull the mask off. Like, Michael, what the fuck is you? It's great. It's, that's a great enough setup. Set you don't need to go further. Like, what makes him tick? Again, like I said, especially in the context of the, if there was just Halloween 1 and even Halloween 2, because what is how this remake but a remake of the first two? Yeah, basically. It's it's both of them put together for, for, for the most part. I w- yeah, I, I think that this is a worse treatment of Michael Myers with a backstory than if you just left it alone because you failed to put together a motive. So it just seems silly at the end when Michael just kind of shuts down like a robot and has nothing like Lori literally knows, does not know what to do at all. So she's just like, I I don't know what you want. So at that point, she's just lashing out for her safety because she really does not know what Michael's looking for here. And it seems like it less of a motivation for Michael, the character, then Rob Zombie, who's like, I really don't know what to do with Michael at this point, so we'll just have him chase Lori for like 15 minutes. Oh, God, so pointless. What, a, I, what a fucking time waste. But, but I think like that's that's a huge problem with Halloween. And I think, and I think com- this compared to 
say our previous remakes, I think this is the greatest affront. Because compared to like how they treated Jason and how they cre- treated Freddy and how they treated Leatherface, I think this, and you know, it's kind of surprising to say because I think as we agreed in like the our previous reviews, they missed the mark. I think this misses the mark even greater. Yeah, I mean, I think like with those, at least they did get a lot of their character beats right. And this not, is a, a and they're more huge, simpler too. Like you know, just, this is a huge change because. This Michael is a lot more human. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say human. I mean, he he obviously has like a di- disparate view of like humanity, and he obviously he does he's pretty misanthropic for the most part, but he is still human. And I would say that's a huge change up from John Carpenter's because, in that sense, Michael Myers is more of what you would consider and what his like character name is as the shape. He's literally a shape with a form, but no, nothing behind it. I mean, it's literally just like a, almost like a, a robot or something that's just mechanized that just is continually doing what its job is, like whatever it feels its job is. The Terminator. Exactly. And, and I would say that this is such a huge change in that Michael and this is so much more human and, and motivated for for and, no reason. And I think that, it's supposed to be because you're supposed to sympathize. I guess. I mean, because I don't because really... because again, we're, like if you're gonna like do like a remake and like do this stuff, what what else? Like if you're, I'm assuming from what the way the script is and how it's you know all the beats and how it's plotted out, you're supposed to sympathize with Mike. Like, yeah, he kills people, but like he had a shitty life. Yeah. Where, I, whereas, I, where, again, like, whereas in the original, you don't sympathize with Michael at all. You have no reason to, because he is a Terminator. He is a shape. He is evil incarnate. He just goes and kills. You don't need, again, because we're not, we're not focused, and again, because it's early in a slasher film series, we're not focused on the killer. We're focused on the protagonist of the film being Laurie, and then, you know, the wise, sagely character within this, Loomis. Now that we've already had all the sequels and people be like, yeah, I like the killer more. You know, where is there to go? Well, we don't really care about Lori. We don't really care about Loomis. Let's Michael and let, you know, people like Michael. Yeah. But it's not because we like him because, oh, I want to know about him. It's like, he kills people I find annoying. Yeah. Like that, that sequels and slasher films generate. So what's this film trying to do? Like, well, this is why Michael kills and. We know people like... So you're supposed to watch... I'm assuming you're supposed to watch... Be like, oh... He wouldn't have killed if his mother, you know, didn't shake her titties to bad company all the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the sympathetic aspect because I don't really find Michael sympathetic. I feel like he could have been sympathetic except for the fact that Rob Zombie's characterization in the beginning is too generic. I mean, people getting bullied and having a bad home life, that's pretty much... That's a, many people in America and they don't turn into psychotic serial killers who are unstoppable. So um, I, I would, ju- I just think that they really missed the mark there if they wanted to make him sympathetic because they should have given him a, a much more um, specific backstory that didn't really focus on stereotypical generics of like American home life in the seventies. Yes. A lot of people had terrible parents who liked to hit them or, you know, that was, that was like, punishment for yeah but even though, even though, like her sis her his his older sister is like a shitty person mm-hmm. is she bad no she's a teenager who just wants to get fucked and make sex jokes yeah 
Oh, you know. Yeah, like so so like yeah, she like she wants to fuck her boyfriend and she makes jack off jokes, you know, in front of That's the thing. I just But it's, so it's like it was is she worth it? No. So it's like yeah, she's like not like I would after watching it's like I wouldn't hang out with her. She's a shitty person, but it's like she worth, you know, worth getting killed over? No. It's just like Yeah, right. I just don't see the the sympathetic nature of it. Like it just seems like a stretch to Well, say at least at least his like, his mother's boyfriend yeah. He's a cocksucker. Yeah, no, yeah. he he deserves to get his throat slit because he's a fucking useless piece of shit. Yeah. But, you know. But other than that, it's like, does the bully that makes fun of him deserve to get beaten with a fucking stick? No, just, yeah. f- just fight him with, like, your... Probably not. Just go fisticuffs with him, for God's sakes. Yeah. If you get your ass kicked, at least, oh, well, you know, you... At least if you, like, try to fight him and you put up a halfway decent fight, he's probably not going to bother you. That's true. Yeah, just beat him up a little bit and he's be like, okay, even if you don't, sorry. Even if you don't beat him up, if you at least put up, like, a halfway decent, like, you know, kind of show, like, oh, shit. He's probably not going to bother you anymore. It's like, oh, I'll pick on this other kid that I know is not going to fucking take a swing at me. That's true. You don't really need to take a fucking, hide behind a tree and take a giant-ass oak limb and beat his, you know, break his knees in, like, you're watching Goodfellas. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. But, you know. Seems a little excessive. So, we have to kind of get away from the backstory, because we've talked about that a lot, and I think we could spend all night talking about, you know, Michael's backstory and how it really is an ineffective use of the film's time. <laughs> Misses the point. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about Dr. Loomis for a little bit, because he's also a huge part of the original Halloween, and really, like, the foil to Michael. Which, I will say... It's kind of hard to top Donald Pleasance. Well, so, for sure, yeah. Such a great, he's a great character actor. I will say, inspired casting choice by Malcolm McDowell, because I'm not saying he's anywhere, he does nearly as good a job as Dr. Loomis, but out of any actor off the top of my head, he's probably the one I would be like, yeah, the, he I, I could see, like, Anthony Hopkins. He, he would not. He would not besmirch himself. No, he wouldn't. But I mean, I he, could see him being he, a good Doctor Loomis. He, he he's a little bit more picky with his. <laughs> no, I I agree, but I could see him being like if in maybe like a more serious uh, Halloween. Yeah, but I think Malcolm. If this was a more serious, like again, yeah, like if this was like a, say if it was like a shot for shot remake, like the Psycho remake, I think Malcolm McDowell would be great. It'd be, you know I think if they did more with. Sam Loomis's character, Malcolm McDowell, would be great. I I don't th- if anything one of the strengths in this film is Malcolm McDowell. The problem is they don't give him anything to do. Yeah, I would say that that's a a, a big issue in that they make Loomis seem very ineffective. Um, like I said, in when we were watching the movie, seems like he just like either recently got his psychiatry degree or he really has no idea and they were took just it, like took, an on, took like an online test yeah like, like you passed you know or like somebody was like uh this guy is really crazy we don't know what to do with him so can you can you like try it it's like lobotomy <laughs> open and shut case yeah i mean i i think that they make him very seem very ineffective almost like he's goading michael into being this sort of like misanthropic character well because all we see him do is talk to michael and it's not very talk talk, he's not talking to michael in a manner that's like gonna do anything he's just like 
what are you doing, Michael? Right. And I'm making a mask. And like let out your rage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. And it's not really helping him or anything. Um, I guess what the film's trying to do in this case is to show like Dr. Loomis is trying, is trying but there's not really anything that you can but do. But I guess like what we see him do is not really. Yeah, I agree. It seems like it was written by somebody who really didn't understand like what psychology or psychiatry was. So they kind of try to, they just, they found it to be something like just talk to them. And, and not like that, but the, like, as we talked before, is like the fact that they just kind of, oh, Michael's crazy, but he, it, he's not like just evil. So they they don't really assign like a certain type of psychological character you know, characteristic to him. He's just like, oh, he's just dark and won't, he won't talk and he wears his mask and I fear he's hiding behind them. And it's like, what? P- pick like something that you know, like all you have to do is open the DSM-4 and be like, here's something that would fit, you know, why he might be a serial killer. Yeah. And then you could have Loomis try to work with that, you know. Right, yeah. I'm not saying like be like stereotypical and like he's schizophrenic or something because usually how schizophrenia is portrayed in films isn't correct. But, like, you'll pick something that, you know... Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense, and then you could go with it. Like, to why, you know... If you're going to go the mental aspect, because obviously they're trying to go, like, the mental health aspect, because they put him in a sanatorium. They have Loomis working with him. So why not go the extra route and try to identify, like, something that they might think he has, instead of just... Well, he hasn't talked in two weeks. Maybe let's try shock treatment. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically... That's the thing. And, like, even towards the end of the film, um, I, what I one thing that I really don't like is that they make Loomis kind of a comical character who's just going around to the police and be like, I don't know why you're not taking me seriously. This guy's fucking coming. Yeah, but in Halloween, he does that too, though. In the but original, he's not a comical character. He's not comical, but at the same time, I think people can find it kind of comical now because he's just like, Death incarnate, the boogeyman, the evil's coming. And, like, yeah, sure, okay. Whatever. But one thing I like about that original Loomis is that he really does seem scared. Like he's that there's that palpable fear. Like this guy's worked with Michael Myers for fucking years and he's he's scared of him. And see, I don't think that's an acting problem. Because again, I think again, no, I, 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 I think Donald Pleasance does a you know, great job. He's a terrific actor, especially, you know, as a, a character actor. Same thing with Malcolm McDowell, terrific actor, great character actor. I think that the problem with that lies where you don't fear, feel that he's feared is the fact that we see him spend so much time with Michael and that, you know, after he doesn't fear him at all. He yeah. knows that he's evil, so he doesn't he doesn't seem like he's fearful. He feels feels like he's more like I failed. I don't know what to do. I'm done working with you cuz I don't think I can fix you. And then when he's coming back, his fear doesn't doesn't that he's trying to show to the police, you know, the sheriff doesn't seem like come across as fear. It's more like, I look, you gotta listen to me, because I heard from a doctor from you know the asylum that he's broken out. I know him; he's going to kill. So it's not really fear. It's more like, look, I I've worked with him forever. And again, I don't think that's a Malcolm McDowell thing. I think it's more a story and a direction thing that leads him to not coming off as fearful. I agree. I think that it doesn't really seem like that's what they're going for, that he's fearful. I just think that it takes away from how we see Michael as like a unstoppable killing force because when Dr. Loomis doesn't fear him, we it, it kind of loses that tension. I just think that that adds to the original Halloween because of how 
much we see like Dr. Loomis is scared. There's multiple scenes where, you know, he's working with the sheriff and the sheriff's like, you're frightened. You know, and he's like, yes, I am. You know, and you would be scared too if you knew what he was, you know. Exactly. I just think it takes away a little bit from the tension of. And it's kind of ruined too because the sheriff in this knows Michael. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he knows all about it. Yeah, yeah. So, whereas, you know, the original, that's not really implicated. Like the sheriff's like, I know about the Myers murders. I was there. I was on scene as a young deputy, you know. Yeah. Where in here, it's like, you know, the sheriff's like, oh, yeah, I was. Which, by the way, why does he look like he crawled out of the 70s, too? Brad Dourif. Fucking, you know, handlebar mustache. and Well, everybody kind of does. Even though, technically, this is supposed to be, take place, well, it's 15 years after the original, like, when, when uh, Michael originally kills his And I would say it has sister. to be, like, 79 to 82. Yeah. It's I, like, the way like, they're all dressed is, like, that's the time, you know. But yeah. at the same time, it's kind of like they want their cake and eat it, too, because it doesn't look like the 90s. It looks like it's supposed to be like you know, kind of like the early two thousands. I think it's supposed to be the eighties, to be honest with you, and and uh, it's it's the fifteen year difference. I mean, I would say that Rob Zombie doesn't really make it seem like the eighties. I think that's part. Well, no, because all the cars they're driving are shit you would see in the mid to late seventies. It's not like anything you would see in the eighties. Yeah, the cars a, that are driving around it has a weird sort of time sense to it that I don't think that really works. And I don't know why they didn't specify. Why not specify? Yeah. What kid in the fuck? If this felt like you know, fifteen years later from the seventies and eighties, what kid in the nineties is fucking fingering a bag, a bagel bag? Ah, mom, this is the teacher's <laughs> doing to me every day. She's the teacher's fucking fingering me. And I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make by the way, that makes Lori very likable. Yeah, right away. <laughs> You're like, like I can root for her. Yeah, but she has like cat's eye glasses, so that makes her likable. Oh, she's nerdy. It doesn't make her as virginal as uh, Lori from the original, though, does it? Oh, they they really went the, you know, whole Catholic, like... Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> but, well... That's, that's that's something different, yeah. you know, but... Um, well, let's, I mean, let's talk about that. What do you think of the actual... I mean, like I said, this film is more focused on Michael himself. Um, the original is focused on Lori. So, boys, but what do you think about Michael's, like, targets? Lori, Annie... Linda, um, they really only come into play about an hour in, so you you get a lot less of the characterization than you would in John Carpenter's film too. And they're all just there to be killed, and they're and they're killed because it's a stereotypical slasher film, so they're killed because they're having sex. I think that there's a lot less um, characterization for all of them, so they really don't really they don't feel like people really. They no, just they don't. Feel- they're all they're all again. As, I, as we were watching, I looked at your wife. I'm like, "Is that what you did? Is that what you did in high school? Like to your girlfriends, like slap their, like you know, flip their tits around? Like, oh, you, you need a boyfriend. You need a dick deep in you." Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's like, yeah, it's just hard to see them as actual people because you see them for so little. I mean, you really before Linda dies, you see her in one scene. Before like, Annie dies, you see her in a couple scenes. And you're like, I can't wait to see her tits. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see Halloween 4's child stars tits now. I'm older now. I've earned, I've earned, I've grown up with that. Yeah. I've, I've earned, damn it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a, that's one thing that Rob Zombie delivers is the nudity because Linda is completely nude and, you know. Yeah, landing strip and all. You get that's. To- you know, that's one thing that Halloween does deliver. 
Um, you know, premature ejaculation. Yeah, it's similar. But it's like, you know, this is a film. It's like Rob Zombie said, like, I like Halloween and all, but like, what if we added a lot more gratuitous nudity and violence to it? And that's pretty, you know. Because it's supposed to be exploitive. I mean, that's what he's he's going for here. I don't really think that that is reminiscent of actual Halloween. It's I mean, not remin. I don't think just because if you have a bunch of nudity and shit, it makes it exploitive either. It just makes it. No. Just makes it tasteless. Yeah, there's a lot of tasteless aspects to it, like just showing like random butt shots, random upskirt shots, random you know, yeah, they're nude for no reason shots. Like, does everyone have to be having sex on Halloween? Like again, like who the fuck's be like, yeah, let's go to the old Myers house that's got you know, blood and shit all over it. We'll go up there and we'll fuck. When you're done, we'll go down to the clinic and get a tetanus shot because I'm pretty sure when we were having sex, it was on a rusty screw. You know, gotta make could be safe. Yeah, or like, um, I mean, there's just a lot of scenes here that are unnecessary. Uh, Ken Forey's truck stop scene being <laughs> one of them. I mean, besides the fact that Michael Myers gets his jumpsuit, which he's wearing, Ken Forey's wearing, other than that, that is a really pointless scene. And it's like, just again, like it, the whole like time thing is like, like what, where, what time are we living in, in this film? Right. Looks like he walked out of fucking coffee or Black Caesar, you know, or Superfly with his giant afro mutton chops, like looking at me like, damn, I'm fly, you know. And then he's taking, he's taking a shit. Michael Myers busts on him taking a shit. And he's looking at, he's taking a shit and looking at porn. Have you ever been taking a shit? Like, you know what else I need to do right now? You need to look. Look at a hustler, too. Well, I guess I can't really... Not only do I gotta take a shit from this Taco Bell box that I just had, I wanna rub one out, too. You ever been in the mood? Ever? There's ever... gotta be a name for that. I'm Mixing sh- both, yeah, I'm both sh- together, but... I'm sure there is. I don't know it. <laughs> but, I mean... Really? Yeah, but I mean, it's just... It's, just like, it's literally just like... Like, what the fuck? Really? I mean, a lot of the scenes just are are in here just to be in here. The rape scene, where Michael breaks out. In here just to be in here. For him to break out, which is like the dumb... How'd he break out? Well, this guy who's a fucking security guard, and then his cousin came there drinking some fireball whiskey, take a comatose-looking girl that's in the asylum, and take her to Michael Myers' room to rape her, and they fucking rape her, and Michael's just like... Yeah, go ahead, I don't care. But then they touch one of Michael's masks, and then he gets all, you know, pissed off. Like, what? The, seriously? It's fucking stupid. Yeah, I'm fine with the the whole, like, we have fodder for Michael. I, that's fine. That's that's Slasher Movie 101. That's that horror movies. unlikable shitbags? Yeah, like, right. But, it, but at the same time, a lot of these scenes just feel pasted in here. Like, they, if they weren't there, would it matter? Probably not. But... They're there just to be, sh- you know, shock value for the for the viewer. I just don't think it works. It's just not anything that has to do with like Halloween as a franchise. I mean, it's not even shock value. I would, I and and I don't use this a lot with film because I mean, to me, like you can kind when it comes to like art, I think you can get away with anything because it's art. But I will say it is in this fact, it's tasteless. 
It's yeah. literally done just for the sake of like, look what we're doing. Yeah, right. It's not. I like, agree. You know, yeah. It's, it's you know, and I again, I don't like really using that because I think with like comedy and like anything like artistic, you can do things that would be considered taboo because the fucking point. Right. You know, you can get those types of things across. Literally, here is just like these fucking apparent hillbilly guards, which again, they're in the middle of Illinois. Yet the two characters that play these guards sound like they come come from the fucking Mississippi Delta and Alabama. Like, we're gonna rape this girl. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What? Why? Yeah, it just seems like... What's the motivation? They're just shitty people. Okay, then, like, why... Why Why would this guy who fucking works in here know that Michael's a fucking... He has seen Michael and that he's a shit brick house who could fucking <laughs> kill anybody. Yeah. Why would you be like, I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna rape her in his bed. Yeah. While he's sitting there making a little paper mache mask, you know, having those little arts and crafts. Yeah. Besides it's getting fucking stupid, it's just, I, it's just yeah, it just it seems like it's so excessive that it's it doesn't doesn't make any sense or add anything to the movie. Um, and I think that's that's the way that a lot of this film goes. So it's two hours. It's super bloated. Um, the last fifteen minute chase sequence between Michael and and uh, Lori Lori from Scout Taylor Compton. That's so long. I mean, it just feels exhausting. So much dead air. Just, just. I would say like Rob Zombie really. I I don't. I can't say that Halloween is really like doesn't have a good pace because I think it's it's paced okay. I th- I probably would say it's paced a little bit better than Nightmare on Elm Street. But I, the two hour runtime really gets to it towards the end of the I film. I think it's more just because they're like, well, we can't have an hour and a half film and half of it be. Yeah. Child Michael. That's what it seems like. Because if they did that, I think they'd be like, people would be really pissed off. I, I mean, the the whole chase sequence with Lori is just so long and overdone and just constantly being, like, extended for for no reason. That even, like, when, like in our intro, when we have uh, Malcolm McDowell exclaiming, Jesus Christ! You know, that's exactly how the viewer feels because it's well, like, okay. Yeah, oh, Michael's dead now and they're sitting in the cop car and I feel like, and again, this line doesn't work in the movie, but because it's a callback to the original, they have to have, you know, Lori go, was that the boogeyman? And, you know, Loomis is like, I, I do believe it was. And then he breaks through and he's like, what the hell? You've been shot. What the hell? You know, yeah, it's funny. It's almost it's to me like it comes off as like fourth wall commentary. Like Malcolm McDowell's like, I wasn't expecting this to happen in this scene. What the fuck? Like you know, right? Yeah. It's, but it's, I mean, but I mean, other otherwise, like no, you're right. Like I I don't like that. Like I don't like that that lines in there because again, it's just like it's literally like Halloween fans. Look, it's a callback, but it's like. Would would she really say that? Was that the boogie? And that right. like no. The only reason they did because they had the kids that she babysits me asking her about if the boogeyman's real. The girl's like fucking eighteen years old. She's not gonna ask if that was the boogeyman. Yeah, you know. And but I especially I just, in the context of the film, the whole reason is because she's being badgered throughout. You know, babysitting those two kids who are like, "Is the boogeyman real, Lori? I think well, the kids at the school say." And she's like, "Shut the fuck up! No, it's not." They just have her say it because the kids were like, "Oh." Maybe that was the Pokemon. But it doesn't work. Again, it doesn't work. It's like, it's just thrown in. Like, look. Because the Boogeyman's the thing, you know, in the original. Ah, 
Yeah, and I just think that like that that whole last part is just so so long. It's like just you get can't him have, up, just, you can't Michael come back once. You gotta have him come back like twice or three times just have before him get it's up over. To the, a chase scene up to the balcony of the house, and then Michael tackle her off. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just so much. It's just it's way overdone, and it really drags the film down. It's it literally is like fifteen to twenty minutes of that chase sequence, and I would say. That Rob Zombie really didn't take anything from John Carpenter because his is very well paced. It's often very tense with the soundtrack. And uh, though I like that Rob Zombie uses some of the original score soundtracks for from Halloween, I would say that they're not used in the same um, effectiveness as John Carpenter. Often used inappropriately. Right, exactly. The whole when we see Loomis talking to the principal and Michael's mother... And Michael's overhearing. All of a sudden, he just runs away and goes, do, 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 It's like, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. The, the whole point of the, the theme is to build tension to like, no, he's just running off into the woods. Yeah. It's, it's, and then and then when he beats, you know, the kid with the stick, the bully, then the music cuts out. It's like, no, that would have probably been the spot to put, you know, put the music there. Yeah. It's like, just, you, you, you didn't time that right at all. You know, it's. I, totally missing the point i like the throwback there but i don't think that they used it in effective ways and so it kind of comes off as forced and like they do use some of the other soundtrack areas as well like mr sandman comes up uh don't fear the reaper although with don't fear the reaper that comes up twice so it's almost like rob zombie forcing it on the audience like hey did you hear it the first time yeah but i didn't hear it the first time but not like that they do it because they they play rush they play bad company they play nazareth so it's like yeah we gotta check off every like stereotypical 70s box here like yeah. oh michael's not gonna go trick-or-treating with his sister because she's too busy giving a blowjob to this asshole Love yeah. you know sprinkle nazareth in there because you know this is 70 he's wearing a kiss shirt yep like literally why he's like murdering like his you know his mom's boyfriend that should play like kiss like i was made for loving you but you know just like why not why the fuck not yeah well we've talked a lot about things that we didn't like was there anything that you did like let me take a drink for that yeah um i like malcolm mcdowell okay i don't like as i said before though i don't think he really again he's a terrific actor i don't think though he's does anything though i like him i think he does the best he can i because the script's told dog shit and i don't think the direction's good but i've all like the actors he's by far the best but i still think like he could have done so much better if he was given something something ta- like you know much tangible to work with other than that i don't really find the cast to be good i don't find the script to be written well at all like somebody in the ninth grade, you know, fucking read it and wrote it, and they're like an ICP fan. Like, <laughs> have juggalo shit everywhere, you know? Yeah. Hellbilly, you know? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so literally about it. I will say, even though it's two hours long, I think. Because as we said before, we reviewed this. This is only our second time seeing the film, and we both saw it in theaters. Not together, but we both saw it in theaters when it came out, and that was it. I will say, from my memory, it's better paced than I thought it was. It's still not saying much. I would I mean, agree. I, I, I do think it's better paced than the Friday the 13th remake and the Nightmare remake, but even still, it's it's got a shit ton of flaws. Yeah. I mean, not, Daniel Harris's titties can't save this film. 
Yeah, I think I would just say that, you know, things I liked were some of the throwbacks to the original um, and some of the nudity. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, though I don't really feel like the brutality has a place in this film because it's... Only seems... one of the kills in, I thought was interesting. Yeah. And that, to, to me, the, the one kill I thought was interesting was the... Uh, Danielle Harris's boyfriend when he like picks him up and stabs him on the wall. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, that's, that's a callback, and it's also, I think that's well done because it's not focused on gore because we see it from far away. Yeah, uh, so that's think, and it's quick too. Yeah, because he opens the door and Michael just kind of storms out and stabs and just, him. Just grabs him, picks him up, and puts him. In there the- are a couple scenes like that. Like uh, I like also where um, Lori leaves and like r- immediately Michael rushes the dad that's standing outside on the porch. That's actually a pretty good moment too, because it really comes out of nowhere. There's not a sting or anything. It's like all of a sudden he's standing on the porch, smoking a cigarette and then he's smashed in the face. And we don't even really see like the violence of it. It's just, you see him run up and that's, you know, and then he walks into the house. I think that's that's a pretty good moment too. So there are a couple moments where they do, you know, there is some brutality there, but it's not really enunciated. So you kind of get the feel of the original Halloween, which is you, you, you sense the violence, but you don't really see it. I think I think that works for some of this film, but then other times it, it really goes over the top, and it's like, you know, very intentionally brutal and almost pointless in its brutality. And that kind of doesn't fit with the themes of Halloween, but like Danny Trejo getting drowned, exactly, or the original, like when um, Judith Myers is killed. Very brutal for the sake of it. When in the original, that's really like a quick scene, and it it actually makes it scarier because it's so quick. Like it just happens and it's over, and then you have that pan out of Michael standing there, like with a blank look on his face. Mm. It's a little bit scarier in the original. Um, but I, I guess I would say that I, what I like are some of the callbacks, especially like with the ghost scene callback where he's wearing the sheet over his head. Um, I at least like that that's in there. But at Not the that same I think time, that well done. It's like. One. Uh, one chick's like my beer, and he's like, "Here's your beer." Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's it's very more forthcoming. I mean, in it's it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, would he really be like, "Okay, here's your beer," and stab? You know? I agree. Yeah, I. That's it's comedic, but at the same time, it's like. But I at least like that the ghost scene is in here. Um, I would say one thing that I really don't like is that I feel like. Halloween, the 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 holiday, has been taken out a lot in this film too, because it's so. Um, but he's going trick or treating with well, the child. But but what you have is a film that does not revolve around Halloween specifically, but takes place over a long period of time. And so like we see what? like Christmas, <laughs> you know we see yeah we get to hear a nice Bing Crosby song you know it. Yeah, so I I don't like that Halloween, the season, has kind of been taken out of this more so than in the original. Because the original is really just, the, it happened on one Halloween, and then Halloween the two other is, Halloween, it's happening again. And that's great too, but Halloween 2 picks up right after, so it's still going on throughout the night. The, night's, the night is young. Well, sort of, although I would say that Halloween 2 has to take place on November 1st. Oh. It has to be November 1st by that point. Still, Still, that's a that's a minor quibble. But in this one, I feel like that's the Halloween season is kind of taken out. Well, even we, though you do see some jack o' lanterns. And well, stuff. you know what? We'll call John Carpenter. But you should rename Halloween to November first. I 
I, that's <laughs> one issue with Halloween 2 that I have, is that it probably takes place on November 1st. Probably but. by the end, yes. By uh, beginning? Probably still on... I don't know. It's hard to say. Trick-or-treating has been done by that point. Yeah, but at the same time, so is in this film, but at the same time, it seems like no, no, nobody's at home. Like Yeah, true. Like, oh no! It's hard to say. We'd have to reach out to John Carpenter and be like, so when was Halloween 2 set? Like, what, what time? What was What's the time? He'd be like... 1148. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, so we got to give Halloween a rating. So what would you give Halloween on a scale of 1 to 10 Daniel Harris titties? (laughs) 10 out of 10. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, I'll give it a 3. That's really low, and I I don't – I got to say that I don't agree with that, but. Um, I'm close. Almost close to a four, though, because this is slightly better than I remember. I remember when I saw it in theaters, I was so pissed off at it. Like I was literally like, like, because I was with people too. And I saw it. And they're like, "This is great. This is awesome." And they're like, they went out and bought like the fucking Halloween poster for their dorm room. Kid also thought 300 was the greatest film of all time and grossed higher than Titanic. He was wrong. Didn't believe me when I told him that, but... <sighs> Alright, you know what? Maybe I'll give it a 4. I'll give it a 4 out of 10. Um, Probably when I first saw it, I would say a 3. Because, I remember, like I said, when I first saw this film, I was pissed off. I thought it was the absolute worst dog shit I've ever seen in my life. After doing this podcast, it's not the worst film that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's still bad. And I think a lot of it has to do with the first half. With the whole red, you know, white trashification of Michael Myers for the sake of... That's what Rob Zombie does. Yeah. I think if they didn't do that and they made it more... I'm not saying they have to be middle class, but don't make it as blatant, exploitive... You know, like, oh, he's white trash. I think it would be a probably like a six, because it's actually the second half of the film's not terribly bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's just not well-paced, because they don't... They spend so much time in the beginning making white trash white trash Michael Myers that we don't spend enough time with Lori and her friends and the family that we don't really get to know and care about them. I thought if we spent... You know, you can go into Michael Myers' background... And if you make it interesting enough, then yeah, you don't have to really worry about that part because they didn't. You, you know, you can't c- care either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I still think it's out of Friday the 13th and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Nightmare, I think it's still the worst out of them all. Just because of the bastardization from the beginning. But the second half isn't as bad as I remember it. The, f- the first is still is terrible. But, I think... They he Rob Zombie does do enough with the second half and the whole adult Michael Myers thing that it's pa- it's passable. Um, I just wish he didn't go for as much as an exploit, you know, exploitive in style, because I don't think it lends itself at all to the Halloween mythos and mm-hmm. style of the film series itself. And it's not even like exploitive, well done. It's more like this is what you expect from an exploitive film. In titties, blood, and, you know, overuse of fuck <laughs> in a manner that's not enjoyable 
like you're watching a Scorsese film or Tarantino film. It's just fuck, 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 fuck. I'm fingering a bangle to you know in front of my mom. Yeah, uh, I would probably give this a five, and it's kind of surprising, but. I would say that I actually like this more when I saw it in theaters than I do now. Um, but I would say that I think I like this more than, say, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Um, because I do, while I do think this is overlong, I do think it's paced better and I have more fun with it. That may be partially just because it's Halloween and I do enjoy Michael Myers quite a bit. But at the same time, I do think that Rob Zombie does do some things with this, especially in the later half um, of the film where it draws out some of the interesting aspects of Michael Myers. With that said, I don't really think that it is a good film. It's not a good Halloween remake in itself. Um, I think that I'm hoping that in 2018, there is a better Halloween remake and technically not even a remake. It's more of a sequel, but I'm so scared. A a more, you know, a better Halloween uh, franchise reboot than what this one was because I would say that this really has not very much in relation to the original Halloween. Um, and so, I, I don't love what Rob Zombie did with it to make, to give it like the zombification. I, I, I find it amazing how much it misses the point. At least like Friday the 13th, I didn't enjoy it. I don't think it was done well, but it hits the Friday the 13th point. That's yeah, true. Nightmare 2, like it's not good at all, but at least like it kind of hits the point. This though is like, it's done slightly better, mainly because, again, Malcolm McDowell's there, like, but at the same time, it misses the point of Halloween. Yeah. I, like, out of all the slashers to pick to go an exploitive route, this is not the one. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree with that. Friday the 13th, if you want to be exploitive and do that, that's fine. And TCM would probably have been the best pick. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But this is not. And I, and I think... Again, that's a good good word. Rob's zombification of this is the biggest detriment to this film. I don't want to see the Devil's Rejects with Michael Myers. With Michael Myers, yeah, I agree. And I have not seen Halloween two. I have no, I haven't, and I have absolutely no interest. Yeah, I mean, I I probably have to see it at some point just just to see what happens. But I have not seen it, so I I oh. don't really know what happens in that one. Well, but I'm assuming it's just more of the same. All I know is it has ghosts and unicorns, and uh, to make a comparison, I guess it's like Seed Gundam Seed Destiny. Mm-hmm. People who like Gundam, there's people who, like me who hate Gundam Seed. Mm-hmm. There are also people who actually really like it. With Gundam Seed Destiny, the sequel, nobody fucking likes it and think it's trash. That's from what I've read is Halloween 2. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Has no redeeming points to yeah. it whatsoever. I would say that like, we were, we were not enthused with Halloween, so we never really even cared to check out Halloween 2. But it's out there. I, I really, Maybe we'll do that next year. I really am surprised that, like, kind of looking back to how on this, after watching it now and how I saw it in theaters, I'm kind of surprised how I'm kind of leaning on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it maybe. I literally had a grumpy cat face the, yeah, the entire film. Yeah, you did. Film. I remember that. Yeah. Well, no, you weren't there to watch when I was there, but when I, when I saw it in theaters, I was literally, like, yeah. looking around, like, I want to get the fuck out yeah, of Yeah, I here. remember you saying that, but, I mean... Yeah, I guess maybe we're a little bit more lenient on it. We can just have fun with it rather than just being annoyed by it the whole time. So that that could be part of it. John Carpenter's got to be really mad at it. I would assume he probably is. It, like I said, it really has nothing to do with his ideals or anything like that. So 
to have it have the same name and technically be a remake, I would think that he's a little bit annoyed that it really doesn't it misses the mark on so many levels. I'm kind of being becoming annoyed at the fact after you know reading things online stuff that people hold Halloween two in such low regard. Yeah, I've seen and that I don't, too. Yeah, and I don't understand it because I've know. seen I've seen people say like, well, there outside the first film there hasn't been that many good ones. The remakes, but you know, pretty good. It's like, what about Halloween two? Yeah, it's not that good. It's like. Oh. I know. I actually plan on watching that pretty soon because I just watched the original Halloween yesterday. So I gotta follow that up with Halloween too because it's basically a one-two punch. It's a great one. What I a know. what a great idea! Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's like a, the perfect idea. Just continue it on. I agree. All right. So next week we are back. We're gonna have a special episode on Halloween. It'll be dropping on Halloween. It'll be dropping on Halloween. So that means that there won't be any episode on Thursday like we normally release. Or will there? Yeah, I don't think there will be. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> that, that, that. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't think there will be. Um, but then after that, what do we have planned for like November? I don't know if we've really thought that far. Remake a Ween has been a long term process, so. Well, we were going to do Death Wish. Yeah, but that's not out. Well, you know, Bruce. Maybe we'll try to sneak like Blade Runner 2049 in there somewhere. I mean. If it's still in theaters by that time. It will be. Well, they're pulling it hard from theaters. Are they? Yeah. It hasn't been doing well? No. I wonder why. How many people. What are they going to learn? People don't. Unless you're a really hardcore fan of the genre. People don't like cyberpunk. Did they not learn that from the Ghost in the Shell adaptation? And then we also have Thor 3 coming up. Uh, which we I've never seen Thor 1 or 2 but so. it's gonna be following off of yeah I, I agree but I still wanna try to see Thor 1 oh, and 2 oh Justice beforehand. League as well yep and Justice League in uh, November uh, so we've got we've got a lot of things to cover in November actually fucking superhero shit superhero shit yeah it's that time of the I really do wanna see year. Blade Runner before it gets pulled yeah we'll have to try to make a make it a point to see that for uh there's quite a few films that are coming out I wanna see Blade Runner I wanna see Suburbicon the uh, Matt, new Matt Damon, like, just killing people thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Foreigner? Mm-hmm. January, The Commuter with mm-hmm. Liam Neeson looks like it's just fucking taken on a train. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, mean just... we've got a lot of stuff, exciting stuff that's not specifically horror related since we're moving out of that Halloween uh, season, but we've got a lot of stuff to come. We're going to no. do in December. We'll obviously be doing Christmas stuff. No, like Krampus 2? No Krampus 2. No, 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 uh, no. Krampus 2 on the schedule. So How come they haven't done a sequel of that? I wish they would, but it's Michael Doherty's... Uh, I, he doesn't really do sequels to his films. Like, Trick or Treat 2 has been in, you know, has been announced or, or that there's a plan to do it for some time and there's well, just, really been nothing. He doesn't have to do it. Somebody else can do it. No, I know. <laughs> we never did Trick or Treat, actually. So no. that's one for the uh, horizon, you know, for next oh, year. Oh, I do know one that will be coming up. What's up? In December, at least. Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3. You know, for next Halloween, we should do, like, all the Halloween movies that aren't Halloween. You know what I mean? Like So, just... Halloween 3? No, like, <laughs> not in the franchise at all. Just other Halloween movies. All right, thank you for... Uh, that, that's a year in place. Yeah, I know. We've got a year to work that out. All right, thank you for listening. Um, By we... the way. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. It's Jigsaw. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> dropping it. Yes, it's Jigsaw. We're doing Jigsaw next week. We plan to see it on Monday. I bet a lot of people are going to see it. I'm sure. 
the trailer doesn't have me hyped for it at all. No, I'm not really hyped for it, but I need to see it. Just being to. well, I know that too, but just just after seeing the trailer for it, it's like, and I saw saw like castless. I think very well could be hitting it, hiding it. But it's like Jigsaw's back. It's like what happened to Carrie Elwes? I think that in a lot of ways, um, Saw Seven didn't happen. <laughs> well, no, I think in this film, it's not really going to have anything to do with Jigsaw, like specifically. So I think it's going to be like a copycat cat. that has nothing to do with serial. Yeah, but Tobin Bell's going to be in it. How? Yeah, yeah I don't a, know, but it's, he's. It's a flashback. It's got to be a flashback. I think they're just doing a little uh, red herring in that he's going to be in it for like his voice or something. But that's a. That's what I think. But I guess we'll see. We'll see on uh, Monday. I'm I'm really curious though to see how this, if they're only going to bring him back now for like little voiceovers. Who knows? I I'm. Curious, is, and at the is. same time, I don't really have high hopes for it. So. Well, as long as it's not 3D. Yeah. And green tinted. Make sure you check out Stranger Things Season 2 this week. It's out on Friday. I did see that. October 27th. So Still haven't seen the first season. Binge that. They go as Ghostbusters for Halloween. It does take place around Halloween, so make sure you check it out. I'll have to, one of these days, watch the first season. Uh, it's like eight episodes, so well, shouldn't take you that long. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. There you go. You can. Why? You get ready for the new season. All right. Thank you for listening, guys. We will be back next week with our special Halloween episode of Jigsaw. That's going to be dropping on Halloween, October 31st. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. It will be on iTunes and any other podcast app you use. Um, also, you know, obviously subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review on any podcast app that you use. And uh, that will help us to get noticed. Um, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. You can also add us on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. We do have an email. It's Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Also, check us out on cultsploitation.com, which is our podcast network. And if you're interested in joining, please let us know. Because we are always looking for new film podcasts to join our group. So, let us know. Tell us what your favorite Halloween films are. Absolutely. Let us know what your Halloween favorites are. Do you love Halloween too as much as we do? Do you like this Rob Zombie Halloween? Let us know. Do you think Paul Rudd should have had a cameo in this Rob Zombie Halloween? Paul Rudd should have a cameo in everything. But if he wasn't in the film, it wouldn't be a cameo. It's a cameo whether he's in the film or not. Do you Still a cameo that he just appears. So, he should be in everything. Just him with a Sierra Nevada. This is great. Michael Myers. Wow. Even in the background of a bar in Halloween. It'd be great. Alright. We're signing off. Um, make sure you tune in next week so that you get your Halloween fix. Thanks for listening. Take care.